You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Terry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit hankgarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is. Thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm really excited to have Kimmery Martin back on the show with me. She was here a couple of years ago, uh, and we were talking about her book, The Queen of Hearts. What an amazing uh, story that was. Today, she has a brand new book, and today is release day when you're hearing this uh, for that book. It's called Doctors and Friends. And uh, this this is a doozy of a book, guys. You're gonna love this, and it's uh, extremely timely. And you'll 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 see what I'm talking about here in a minute. Welcome back to the show, Kimmery. Thank you, Hank. I am so excited. I am excited to have you. Um, so, Kimmery, um, when you know when last we spoke, we we talked all about um, the Queen of Hearts and and you know how you got started as a writer. Uh, and, you know, you had a an amazing book launch for that book and, you know, really, um, you know, made some new fans and, and, you know, really found an interesting place in the publishing landscape for for you and the types of stories you tell. And then after that book, um, you know, the, the world kind of went haywire. And um, how how is this last Gosh, almost two years uh, been going for you, and you know how how have you guys navigated through the this pandemic and and all the stuff that went with it? It's been deeply weird and overwhelming, really. <laughs> I um I had a second book come out that released just as COVID released in early 2020, and so, so the that antidote sort of, for everything. Yes, the antidote for everything which is a little bit of a spinoff of The Queen of Hearts, and then Doctors and Friends is a spinoff of The Antidote for Everything. But that book was fairly derailed, as was my life, as was everyone's lives. So, I mean, yeah, it has been a strange, strange time. Yeah. Well, you know, when Queen of Hearts, um, was that your debut novel? Yes. So, um, being a debut novel, did you uh, did you get to tour that that book much and get out and and meet readers? I did. I did actually. That's my favorite thing about being an author is I have literally met people all over the world, and a lot of that, of course, is online through social media. But I got to go out to bookstores and to clubs and to lunches and to libraries and. It just expanded my horizons magnificently. I really enjoyed meeting people via the Queen of Hearts and and, and through Antidote as well. So, um, you know, we we talk about um, the fact that being a writer can be a, a solitary pursuit in a lot of ways, and that uh, for the most part, you know, most of our writing day consist of just kind of being in a room by yourself and, you know, just you and your computer or you and your notebook or, you know, whatever your preferred way of getting the story down is. And, and so, uh, you know, the writer's life is, you know, quiet and and solitary for, for a lot of that time. Um, there's something weird though, that happens when everyone else is participating in your, 
um, you know, kind of uh, quiet uh professional life and and when you know that the rest of the world is kind of locked down and you know working from home and and that sort of thing so it it doesn't it shouldn't affect writers a whole lot in the writing process but there's something mentally that goes on when you know that the rest of the world is doing that as well um what were some of the mental hurdles you know of of going through this this past year and and kind of knowing that the rest of the world was kind of slowing down and and being put on hold well, that's a really insightful question um, because you're right. Writing can be solitary. And so I think it becomes even so much more important for writers to connect with people during their free time, <laughs> during their social times. And you're not getting that in a day to day job with writing as you are if you work at a company or or in my previous job where I was an emergency medicine doctor. And that is all interaction, you know, that is all sound and fury and alarms and crashing and bodies and people and running and, you know, it's very hands-on. And I switched 180 degrees when I became a writer into just, you know, parking my butt in a seat. <laughs> and so I, I became of a mindset where I really cherished going out. Right. <laughs> I really love seeing my friends. I love doing things with former colleagues and as a volunteer and at church and at, you know, all the social interactions with my kids and their parents and sports. And, you know, all of a sudden all of that vanished just as it did for everyone. And it became really even more isolating. I think if it hadn't been for social media, which is much maligned in our lives, but also provides a needed connection when we can't get out and do things in person. And if it hadn't been for that, I think I'd have lost my mind. I know exactly how you feel. Um, you know, being a, in uh, that you were an emergency room doctor. I, I mean, you are still a doctor, but you used to work in an emergency room. Um, you know, now we all have become kind of keenly aware of of uh, medicine, and uh, you know, some of us have taken multiple trips to the hospital during this, and uh, we we've kind of gotten. Um, uh, a front row seat for what um you know you and your colleagues kind of you know dealt with on a on a day-to-day -day basis and um how do you think uh, it has affected uh the our frontline medical workers during this because uh you know they they're the heroes that have been going you know day after day and and kind of facing this uh have you stayed in touch with with some of your your colleagues and and, and that through this oh yeah yes um Daily. And I, and I did volunteer some throughout the pandemic as well, but it's hard to overstate what an emotional, psychological impact the, you know, worldwide medical catastrophe of COVID has been on right. frontline healthcare workers. And in the beginning, I think people were deeply appreciative of them. And then, you know, it became so strangely politicized. And now I think there's a sort of a bizarre undertone of suspicion and dislike in some quarters of physicians and scientists and, you know, people on the front lines to some degree, which has been really, really hard. And then, of course, it's just such a spiritually exhausting thing to continually see death and struggle for health on a day in and day out basis. So I do stay in touch with not only my colleagues 
that I worked with in person, but I'm in a lot of online medical groups. And so, yeah, every day. You said earlier that the antidote for everything was a sort of spinoff of the Queen of Hearts. And then the new book is sort of a spinoff, of, you know, Doctors and Friends are sort of a spinoff of the antidote for everything. What, what is the connecting thread between these three books? Uh, friendship. So all three of the books have centered around the concept of friendship as a fundamental human relationship. And the friendships in the book are kind of the tie that binds everything together. And it, it's all three books are loosely centered around ultimately what is a group of seven women who graduated medical school together. And so the first book had two of them as protagonists. The second book had one of them as a protagonist. And the third book has three of them as point of view characters. And the stories don't necessarily have to all be read. Uh, they don't, there's not a conti continuous plot line throughout them, but they all take place in the same fictional universe and all center around the really deep connection between these people. So, um, you know, with this being your third book in, in this um, genre that, that you've uh, not necessarily created, but you you've definitely planted a flag there and um, you know carved out this niche. W what is it about these types of characters and these types of stories? You know, um, and I think we talked about this last time. Um, you know, Grey's Anatomy has been one of the most popular television shows for what twenty seasons going or something like that. Um, what is it about these types of characters and these types of stories do you think resonate so deeply with people? Well, first, I think it's immediately understandable. Um, you know, we not we might not know what somebody who works with, you know, financial derivatives is actually doing, but everybody right. knows what an ER doctor is, <laughs> whether you want to or not. You understand what that looks like. You understand yeah you have some element of understanding of what a day-to-day -day job in the emergency department is um, because doctors interact with everyone. And I think that also people are fascinated with medical dramas because they encompass the whole breadth and depth of the human condition. You know, physicians are there when you take your first breath. They're there when you take your last breath. They fight for your health and your sanity and your well-being. And in its most pure form, I think the medical field should be altruistic, too. You know, most most people go into medicine because they want to alleviate suffering and they want to do some good. Um, and I, I think that does resonate with people. We all understand, ideally, what that is like. Yeah. So um, I want to ask you a question. And I understand that Doctors and Friends was uh, was written or at least conceived of before the COVID-19 pandemic. And we we all understand the publishing industry and how it takes a while from conception of a book to, uh, you know, holding it in our hands as being published. So the 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 pre-publication life of a book is is much longer than a lot of people realize. Um, when when you first start conceiving of a book, when when you first start thinking about, OK, it's time to to start a new book. Um, do you do you immediately think about characters and and how you know what what you're going to put characters through or do you think of you know there's a scenario and then you know characters populate that scenario and they kind of play the what if game what, what's that first moment of inspiration when you start thinking about a new book 
For me, it is intensely character driven. So I always think of who's going to be the protagonist first. Um, and I know that's not the same for everybody. A lot of authors are very plot driven and you have to have a great plot or no one's going to read the book. But for Doctors and Friends, the first thing that popped into my head was I'd like to base a character somewhat on the personality of my late father, who was a very innovative, MacGyverish, scientific, logical kind of guy. And I thought if he had been a doctor, I think he would be an, an infectious disease doctor because those guys are often um, not only very scientific and logical, but they're innovative and they come up with these ingenious ways of addressing complex problems. And I pitched the idea to my editors, hey, you know, what do you think if I wrote a book about an infectious disease doctor in the middle of a brand new worldwide viral pandemic? And she said, oh, great. You know, and I said, yeah, it'll be a cautionary tale. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how it started. <laughs> Dabble is a proud sponsor of Author Stories. Dabble is an easy-to-use cloud-based writing tool that gives writers a way to organize, plot, and create amazing stories wherever they are. Write in our desktop app, on your Mac or Windows computer, tablet, or mobile device. Dabble syncs your latest version with the cloud on all your devices. Write anywhere and anytime inspiration strikes. We got you. Dabble is my preferred writing tool, and I think it will be yours as well. Visit DabbleWriter.com for your free trial. You have an amazing story idea. You execute the writing and editing flawlessly, and now the only thing missing are readers. We can help you go from author to author superhero with Story Origin. Story Origin is a one-stop shop for marketing tools with a community of amazing authors working together to find reviewers, build mailing lists, increase sales, and collect feedback from beta readers. Everything an author needs, all in one place from providing review copies or beta copies, reader magnets to ensure you stay connected with readers, easily distribute audio promo codes, universal retail links to send readers directly to the proper point of purchase, or provide direct download links for members of your mailing list. Story Origin has all the tools you need in one easy-to-use site. Use the promo code ASP21 at checkout when subscribing to the yearly plan, and you will get 10% off your first year. This code will expire December 31st, so hurry over and subscribe now. StoryOriginApp.com Trying to think back to two years ago before... Um, you know, we've all kind of become armchair experts at, you know, infectious disease and, and pandemics and all of that, just kind of out of necessity, you know, learning to, to kind of navigate the world that we've been thrust into. Um, but trying to remember what it was like before then, um, you know, when you before COVID and, and all of the stuff that went with that, um, you know, what, what was your thinking around a worldwide pandemic? Was it and and did it wind up being in reality what you imagined? Um, kind of how I guess what I'm asking is, um, you know, now that we've lived through the reality of it, was what you dreamed of um, similar? Yes and no. <laughs> uh, you know, that's such a great question. I actually have a chapter in the book called Every Armchair Virologist in America. Because like you say, we've all experienced a pandemic. We're all um, 
far more aware of virology and epidemiology than we were before the pandemic. And that pretty much goes for everybody, even virologists and epidemiologists. You know, we're, we've all learned a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, so I saw a viral pandemic as inevitable in our future because it has been ubiquitous in our past. And there's no question it will be in our future as well, because that's what viruses do. They evolve and, and they seek a suitable host and then they replicate. And that happens over and over and over again. So I knew a pandemic would happen. I certainly did not expect a pandemic to happen <laughs> right after I wrote about one. And I didn't. <laughs> and I also got sick during the pandemic. And some of the things played out kind of the way I thought they would. And then other things were so completely different. <laughs> um, to give you a few specifics, I guess, um, first of all, COVID in the beginning was such a strange clinical manifestation and had such bizarre systemic side effects throughout right. your entire body. And I didn't really, I, I kind of saw it as a, you know, I thought we'd be attacked by a respiratory pathogen. And to make it more scary, I gave it some of the hemorrhagic nature of Ebola and the contagiousness of measles. But I kind of saw it as more of a super flu type infection. And then and then, of course, you know, COVID had its own really bizarre manifestations. And I certainly didn't foresee it being um, so much less serious in younger people. Although that is kind of the case with other viruses, this one had a really pronounced um, predilection for older people. Right. And in my novel, it kind of acted more like the 1918 influenza outbreak, which tended to attack younger adults with more robust immune systems because it kind of turned those immune systems against them. But the real thing I did not anticipate was the societal and governmental response to the pandemic. That just blew me away. So, um, you know, we have been uh, through global pandemics before, and you, you mentioned the 1918 uh, flu uh, outbreak. Um, but most of us alive now um, were not alive then. And, uh, you know, we've gone through, um, you know, a great period of societal growth and prosperity and um you know, we're, we're in a very different place in, in 2021 and, and 2020 than we were in 1918. Um, so do you think that uh, our response, uh, I, I guess it's, you know, there's a lot of out of sight, out of mind. You know, we didn't go through that. We don't really um, know what it was like. But, you know, is the medical industry, I, I know there have been huge advances in medical technology since then, um, but some of the core things are are very much still the same. And we're, we're talking about humans and, and how you you treat people. That that hasn't changed. Um, but, had, you know, when, when you start thinking about how we would deal with something now versus how they dealt with it then, um, you know, what, what, how did you start imagining kind of what the response would be? Well, the first really salient thing I thought is we still don't have a good antiviral drug that can kill a virus the way antibiotics kill bacteria. Right. So even though we've had marked medical advances in the last century, obviously, um, we don't have a magic bullet for a virus quite yet. I mean, we're working so hard on it, um, but we don't have it. And so I thought if there's a really contagious, really lethal virus, 
we would run out of resources really quickly because you've only got so many ventilators in the country. And of course, that is that is something that was on everybody's minds in March of 2020. Right. Right. Um, and we did an also, outstanding job of, of raising, yeah. you know, com- meeting that challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we did some things really good um, during this pandemic and then other things we really half-assed <laughs> or got <Right>. wrong. <laughs> so, you know, which is human nature. <laughs> which is human nature. And that is playing out in some ways almost identically to the way it played out in 1918, because there's these big community differences in how people responded back then. You know, some communities went hardcore on quarantining and masking and had, you know, much lower lethality than other communities that, you know, just kind of went hog wild. And so you see some of that playing out again. And then there's always been throughout the course of human history, conspiracy theorists and people who, um, you know, stake out a position and won't budge from it, despite all evidence to the contrary. And there have been people who, um, you know, weaponize information and distort it and, you know, on and on and on and on. We always do that stuff. <laughs> and 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 we do it on all sides of every issue and we don't want to admit it you know all of this psychological stuff about human beings plays out whenever you've got a big crisis like this and and sadly we you know we came out a lot worse in this pandemic than we could have if we had been more cohesive so we we have a story of a worldwide pandemic and um but, you know, we, we don't want to read a textbook about, you know, how we deal with worldwide pandemics. The the great thing about uh, about fiction, especially, is that we get to inhabit characters that we care about and, and we care what happens to them and, and we care about the decisions that they make and the relationships that they form and all that. Um, so when you started thinking about, you know, you've kind of got these tent poles of a story of, you know, this is happening in the world and, you know, what would we do to to meet the challenge? Um, tell me about the characters that you then bring into this situation and and what they meant to you. So there are three main characters in Doctors and Friends. The first is named Kira Marchand, and she is an infectious disease doctor at the CDC in a particular branch called the EIS, the Epidemic Intelligence Service, which is a real branch of the CDC, not a branch, actually, a, I forget the, the terminology, but it's some little subset where they train people, mostly physicians, but not all, um, to go out and investigate and try to constrain outbreaks. And so that's her job. And she has two children. She lives in Atlanta, but she has sort of wandered all over the world, had a, a career in Africa and um, has an interesting backstory. And her main dilemma in the book occurs when both of her children become deathly ill with this new virus, kind of towards the end of the pandemic. And she just happens to have access to one dose of an experimental antiviral medication. And she has to select which child will receive it And I know that sounds really implausible, but I actually based that kind of on two real life stories. And I can I can tell you about that in a minute if you want. Sure, sure. And then the second main character's name is Compton. She's an ER doctor in New York City, and she's my favorite because (laughs) I understand (laughs) her the most. You know, she's a little bit prickly and she's a little bit um, snarky. 
Um, but she cares very deeply about her patients and about her people. And she goes through a pretty profound personal tragedy in the book. And then finally, the last character who is a point of view character is an OBGYN in San Diego. Her name's Hannah. Um, ironically, even though she's the most motherly of the group and kind of the one that holds them all together, um, she has been dealing with infertility for years, even though also she delivers babies every day of her life. And so those are the main characters. And I had a really good time fleshing them out. I consulted a lot of other doctors, I would say more than 40, um, especially in the field of infectious disease, which is not my area. Um, so I was doing all this crowdsourcing and meeting all these brainiacs and hardcore nerds. And then, you know, COVID happened and those people kind of got busy. <laughs> <laughs> so so tell us about that, that story. You said that there was a, a, this decision point was based on a real life happening. Well, I was doing a lot of reading in the summer of 2019 um, to research for the book. And one of the nonfiction books I read was by uh, Richard Preston, and it was called Crisis in the Red Zone. It was about the Ebola outbreak in 2014. And you're probably kind of familiar with this story because it was a big news um, account around this time. There was an aid camp in Sierra Leone run by Samaritan's Purse, and two of the medical people there contracted Ebola, a doctor and another medical worker. And coincidentally, the medical director of the camp just happened to have access to this completely experimental drug called ZMAP. I think there were like six doses maybe in the entire world, and they had never wow. been given to a human being. And one of them just turns up in the camp. And if you want to know how that happened, you're going to have to read that book because it's a really interesting story with a lot of profound ethical dilemmas in it. So he has to decide, the medical doctor in this camp has to decide which of his two dying colleagues is going to get this one drug. And so I read that and I thought, oh my gosh, what if those two people were his own children? Because I am a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am a writer. And what writers do is we create the worst ethical dilemma for our characters as as we possibly can, right? Oh, sure. So I thought, well, that would rake, that would be pretty much the most um, you know, horrifying choice that anyone could ever have to make. And so my publisher was going to pitch the novel originally as sort of the hot zone meets Sophie's choice. And we edged away from that a little bit, you know, once we realized we were in a pandemic and we had to sort of regroup and rebrand, but that was our original pitch. That's it's funny that you say that because when when you started talking about that ethical choice, that dilemma, uh, Sophie's choice was the first thing that came to mind. And you know, we we've seen stories like that, and they're they're every one is heart wrenching. You know, the, you can't um, you know come up with a scenario like that and not you know have readers all in. Uh, we've got to see how these people deal with that. I know, I know. Like right normally, I am not overly precious about my characters, but <laughs> I was writing the scene where the mom is in the ICU and she she has this drug that nobody knows she has and and she's looking at her two kids. Oh man, I was just bawling uh, while bet. I was writing it because of course I'm a mother and you know I I'm thinking what is wrong with me that I even thought of this idea. But yeah, that was a really hard scene to write. And 
I guess you'll have to read the book to know if she made the right choice. Well, your three characters, Hannah, Compton, and Kira, um, you know, one being in New York, one in Atlanta, one in San Diego, they're really at three opposite corners uh, of the country. Um, you, you know, being in 2021, we can we can live in diverse places and, and scattered all about and still maintain fairly close friendships, you know, through um, technology and, and all of the things that link us together now. Um what was it like having these three close characters, um, but but putting, I guess, what was your decision to to kind of scatter them out? And and how did that help you as a storyteller to to have these characters not uh, not being able to physically touch? Well, I'm pretty sure that arose from my own real life friendship with my six best medical school girlfriends, because I love those people so much. And. Um, I don't live in the same city as most of them. So we stay in touch by text and we go on trips once or twice a year and we do Zooms now that Zoom is a thing. And I actually added Zoom into the book after COVID happened. Um, So for me, it was kind of a reflection of my own circumstances, but I also knew that I wanted to set my next book in California. So I wanted a character there to kind of establish that. Um, and the CDC is based in Atlanta, so that right. was a default choice. And then um, I like to go to New York, <laughs> so research. <laughs> and I also got to go to Spain and Morocco uh, for research. One of oh, my nice. med school girlfriends was living in Spain at the time. And so I decided, you know, I, I, I really like studying books in places where I visited and looked at because you get such a visceral different experience than you oh, do sure. when you're just reading and so so the the book actually takes place in all five of those places nice what point in the writing of the book were you when the actual pandemic erupted um so i had sold it to the publisher and done all the research pretty much i was still doing a lot of crowdsourcing of various doctors and that went on all through the pandemic um, and I had written, I don't, I don't remember the exact amount, but I, I would say it was, there was a pretty finished rough first draft in late January, early February, 2020. So I'd written, written it by then. Um, it did wind up changing quite a bit because my first draft suck beyond all measure, even if there's not a <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> um, oh, wow. But yeah, I mean, it, it was a completely established timeline and fleshed out story at that point. So you are you uh, one of those writers that, um, you know, the real magic happens in editing, um, you know, you, you oh, get yeah. the bones of a story down <laughs> and then that's when kind of the creative juices really start flowing. Yeah, because I'm not a good outliner. I don't I just don't have the ability to think a story all the way through until I've written a lot of it. Um, and that is a method that leads to an immense amount of revision. And that is not efficient, and I wish I didn't do it that way, but that's all I've been able to do so far. So, so Kimberly, what are you working on now? You know, we're we're hopefully getting closer to the end of this pandemic, and the the world is opening back up, and things are beginning to get back to normal. Um, where does your attention turn now? Well, at this exact moment, my attention is wholly focused on you, Hank, but I am getting ready <laughs> to go on a book tour. Um, so I'll be gone for about three weeks, um, 
And you know, right before a book comes out, you're just immersed in this ridiculous imaginary social media world where you're obsessing over everything. That's me right now. So I'm not even writing at the moment, but (laughs) as soon as I get back, (laughs) I'm going back to my um, fourth novel draft, um, which of course at this point also sucks mightily. Well, thank God that book tours are, are, you know, ramping back up again. And that's a thing that we can actually visit and, you know, with, with people and, and all that. So, uh, if, you know, visit Kimberly, if you, if you close to one of the stops that she's going to make on book tour, pick up your copy of doctors and friends. We're going to have links to it in the show notes of this episode where you can grab it in Kindle edition or hardcover or audio book. Uh, however you like to consume books, Kimberly, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, where can they find you online? Well, I like Instagram. I'm Kimberly Martin. Um, I like Facebook, and sometimes I write long medical angsty posts there um, under Kimberly Martin, and I have an author page too. Um, and my website, KimberlyMartin.com. Excellent. We will link all of those places in the show notes of this episode to make it easy for folks to find you. Kimberly, uh, I love the book, Doctors and Friends. This is a, a unique glance into something that we all uh, have experienced, and, and that's not something that we get to say very often when we're talking about um, you know, books, but but this is something that, that everyone will connect with on one level or another. Um, thank you so much for taking time to come back on the show. Hank, that was my pleasure. Thank you. Now stay tuned for an audiobook excerpt from Richard Glebe's The Jason Crane Series. 'Natalie, it's Artie. Listen, I'm going to be late for dinner. I ran out of gas on... He climbed out of the car and peered at the sign. On Sleepy Hollow Road... There's nothing but trees, and I have to find a gas station. Save me a drumstick. He hung up his cell and stuck it in his pocket, zipping his jacket. He was going to have to walk and pray somebody picked him up. A sliver of crescent moon hung above, surrounded by clouds, like a grinning drunk asleep in a puddle. Artie walked, using his tablet as a flashlight, eyes on the gravel ahead. He crossed over a dark ravine. The trunks and overhanging branches were matted thick with wild grapevines and threw a cavernous gloom over the road. A figure stood at a crossroads ahead. It looked pale and wan and blue. A woman? He had an impression of fragility and age and thought of his warty old landlady. But his landlady would not be standing at a crossroads in the dark. Excuse me? Artie said, surprised by the fear in his own voice. Do you know where I can find a gas station? I'm... I'm empty. Then let me fill you, the figure whispered. It rushed at him. It entered him. He dropped the tablet, fell to his knees, and lost his body to another driver. When Artie woke again, he was dangling in midair. The woods were pitch black. The only lights were fireflies. Fireflies everywhere, like dancing stars. He struggled and cried out, his yellow sneakers trying to find the ground. "'Shh,' said a voice. "'It will all be over soon.' Panic rose. He felt invisible hands on his legs, on his arms, 
invisible fingers around his neck, reaching up the back of his shirt. He heard the sound of water running below, high and agitated, as if through a stony brook. The crescent moon swung out of the sky, falling into the water. Blood rushed into his cheeks. He realized he had been flipped upside down. He yelled and groped, flecking his own face with spit, helpless to drive away whatever was attacking him. He felt a sharp pain between his shoulder blades, and air flew out of his lungs. A spray of blood hit his cheeks, hot and clinging. His hands found a sharp branch protruding from his body. It had speared him through his back and out through his chest. He tried to say help, but had no air to form the word. Blood poured up his body. No, it poured down. It only felt as if it were rising, climbing his neck, covering his face, gathering in his scalp. He reached for the ribbon of blood that fell from his crown into the trickle of moonlight below. The ribbon slipped through his fingers. It thinned, choked, became a tiny rivulet. His tanks were empty. Not even fumes. His engine began to sputter. The flow became a drip. A maddening drip, like the drip, drip, drip of his kitchen faucet. The drip his landlady hadn't fixed. The drip that kept him up at night. This drip would not be keeping him up. He would sleep very well this night. Very well indeed. The fireflies slipped into shadow. A figure appeared, blue as gaslight, bony and toothless. A crone from a fairy tale. Thank you, my friends, she whispered. I am thankful for this good harvest. She neared, scrutinized him with manic intensity, and turned away, muttering to herself in a sing-song rhythm as she, too, vanished into the trees. A man may toil from sun to sun, but a woman's work is never done. <laughs>